You know, there's that old trivia question. How many months have 28 days in them? And a lot of people will say just one. Wrong. It's all 12 as it turns out. But today is the last day of February. It is February 28th. I'm Guy Adami. This is Market Call Live. I'm joined by Dan Nathan. Today's episode, peeps, is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, open exchange, Dan, because as we've come to learn over the last year and a half or so, they manage virtual meetings that matter. There is so much happening on in the markets across the globes. We're going to get right into it, Dan Nathan. How are you, by the way? I'm doing well, Guy Dami. And yeah, I mean, this is a virtual meeting that matters. And there's a lot going on. I mean, listen, it's not just the stock market. I mean, you and I obviously focus a whole heck of a lot on that. But there's a lot of things that have been going on for the last few months as in, in, the, in the rates market and commodities that are really affecting, you know, the underlying equities or many equities here. And, you know, it's interesting, Guy, given all of the news over the weekend, and it's sounded kind of bad you know we kind of had some defcon talk you had people saying lehman moments you know with all the sanctions that have been dialed up and we have a pretty muted reaction right now i think across all markets even including commodities you know so and yields are a little bit lower but just give me your sense of like what you were expecting coming in today and here at one o'clock eastern what do we got i would agree with that and listen again for emphasis our job is not to talk you know geopolitical, what it means. We understand the loss of life is catastrophic. And we do understand, both Dan and I, that this is obviously just tragedies for so many people. We understand that. But in terms of the markets, and you could say that's a real problem, Guy, but the reality is I think the markets are learning how to deal with this. And as we've learned over the years, the markets deal with things a lot faster than they did historically. With that said, Dan, spot on, the moves we're seeing are muted. You look at the S&P 500, for example, I think at one point last night, Dan, as I looked at my screen before I fell asleep, S&P were down 110, 115 handles. Obviously, it paired a lot of that. And at one point today, I think we actually sort of were flirting with unchanged. Here we are taking this next leg lower. I'll say this. We're in this downtrend basically from the end of December, early January. I think that downtrend is intact. I've said for a while, I think 3750 is the ultimate level that we will see in the S&P 500. If I'm wrong, I'll be wrong in the fact that we break through this downtrend line and the market looks past everything. Unfortunately, in this case, I'm not quite certain I'm going to be wrong. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that the geopolitical really kind of took over some of the stuff that was happening here at home. Just the way we investors were thinking about valuations, at least in the stock market in January, that was kind of the big focus. And, you know, when you think about the S&P 500 guy and you had that move, you know, it almost got to 4,200 on the downside in January. And it had that really nice bounce almost back up to 4,600 or so. And we got we just blew through it, you know, late last week or so we have that intraday reversal. I think it's those intraday reversals mm-hmm. that really get people turned around a lot. But it's also one of the reasons why we focus a lot on technicals because in fast markets where there's a lot of stuff that are hard to quantify, a lot of investors are looking at the same charts. They're putting stops in. They're using options at different strikes, right? If you're trading futures to head hedge large portfolios, a lot of those are predicated on technical levels here. But guy, we just talked about some of the interplay between, you know, some of the inputs as it relates to the stock market in January, it was a fear of inflation, right? And crude oil and energy in general was a huge input here. Well, we've had all these headlines and we 
understand the disruption that's going on, at least in the energy markets in Europe, and it's causing a knock-on effect here. When you think about crude oil here, you know, we had WTI last week, it kissed 100 bucks here. When you look at it here, and it's just kind of been on this runaway breakout since early December, I think it was in the low 60s. It got as high as about about 100 the other day. Here we are about 95 bucks. You see that breakout level from January that was about 86 and a half or so. Do you think we see a pullback? Is that 200-day moving average, man, is all the way down there at 75? And the government, our government, is talking about tapping that SPR. There's a whole yeah. list of things that could go on with crude right now. Yeah. No, listen, we saw a pull. We, I know you know this. We saw a pullback last week. Was it the pullback? Probably not. And, you know, I think you're right in looking at this chart and saying this is a chart. This is a commodity that's dying for a bit of a back and fill. And I think that back and fill comes in the form of about 85 and a half or so or that horizontal green line that you drew so well on this fact set chart. I mean, I guess the ultimate objective, Dan, would be the 200 day moving average which probably comes in around 76 each day. It probably goes up by 15 or 20 cents or so. And as we continue to get further and further away from that, these in terms of standard deviations from the 200 day moving average, stands to reason that we will see a correction at some point. I want to be clear though, I think crude is probably headed to $120 at some point over the next month and a half, two months. I really haven't wavered from that. You know, I thought we would do an overshoot. Commodities overshoot to the downside, they overshoot to the upside. So $100 is probably where it should be. The overshoot will take place to the form of 120 in my opinion. What it means for equities, though, is an entirely different conversation. Yeah, let me push back, though, for one, and not push back. I, I'd just love to hear how you think it gets to 120 because things would have to really go haywire, not just with what's going on in Ukraine, but obviously there had to be some other issues going on there, or are there just some kind of technical things going on in the oil market that could cause that sort of move? Go back to April, 2020. I mean, no one thought crude futures could go negative. So to your point, I mean, no one had ever seen that before. So that sort of move to the upside, like you said, is obviously in the cards. Yeah, and I don't wanna get completely wonky here, but that negative move was really predicated on the fact there was no place to store. So. It actually was better to sell crude at a negative price than try to find storage because you couldn't find it. That's neither here nor there. I'll say this to answer your question, not to bury the lead of what's going on, but I think at some point this week you'll hear that COVID is sort of over in the United States. I think this, obviously, what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, has sort of obviously obfuscated that a bit, deservedly so. I mention that because it's a supply-demand dynamic going on, and right now, We're at peak levels in terms of demand. U.S. is producing less. So fundamentally, oil should be higher. And I think when you start seeing these headlines, that's going to lead to this. And oh, by the way, which I love to say, there's still the potential for China, Taiwan to rear its ugly head, all of which, by the way, should be supportive, in my opinion, of higher crude prices. And I say this all the time, and you've heard it, folks, but not to belabor the point, the remedy, the medicine for higher commodity prices or higher commodity prices. I don't think we've hit that inflection point yet. Yeah, I mean, listen, the one thing I'll just say on the geopolitical front is like all this stuff is likely to die down quicker than most people think, or at least like you said just a few minutes ago, I mean, markets or investors just kind of get more comfortable with what the likely outcomes are the longer they go. So we'll see about that. Here's one that you've been really focused on, Guy, is gold. You had a nice call on this thing. You thought it would break out. You've been saying it's not a story until it's a story and people start reaching for it. One of the bull cases for gold in particular, as you've been laying out for the last year or so, is the fact that the Chinese and the Russians 
are buying it. And when you think about some of the sanctions that were just put on play, in place versus Russia, it basically lends itself to that theory and, and one of the reasons why they have been buying. Give me your sense on GLD. You had this breakout. That's the ETF that tracks the price of gold. You see that multi-year uptrend or so, but then you also see the downtrend from those summer 2020 highs. We just broke out here. That 200-day moving average is all the way down there at 170 in the middle of that little pointy pennant here guy are we gonna see a back and fill back towards 170 soon i hope not uh not that i'm talking my book but i just think gold will continue to grind higher i mean this we thought this pennant formation and we've been talking about it literally for months and carter worth's talked about it with us as well i thought it would resolve itself to the breakout to the upside and that's taken place i'm surprised that we didn't have as much we didn't have really any follow-through quite frankly you had about 12 hours worth of follow-through then it gave it all back but it's hanging in here you know, I think it's going to continue to do the grind higher. Can it retest that, again, downtrend line, which, by the way, is going to coincide with that uptrend line, probably around 170 or thereabouts? Yeah, I guess that's possible. I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, I think gold is going to continue to be a story. And if you're asking me, I would still bet on it trading the levels we last saw in the summer of 2020, Dan. All right. So what are the gold miners, the GDX, the uh, ETF that tracks that? What is that telling you? Because relative to its 2020 highs, it's much further below that. It's kind of really wrestling a little bit with that downtrend or so. It's very near its 200-day, just from a technical standpoint. And one of the reasons we're going to lean on the charts here as it relates to the gold is because that's what a lot of people do in these mm-hmm. sort of risk assets. Yeah, it's this is an it's a great chart by the way. This is basically a two little over that two and a half year chart or so of the GDX gold miners. These are the sort of the mature gold mining names, and we're in a pretty steep downtrend from that all time high in the commodity. I think what's going on here, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, but what I think's going on here is the same thing you sort of in the oil market where oil traded up to these levels. The stocks did not participate. The stocks only participated after the commodity proved itself for a period of time. I think that's what's happening here. I still think there's a huge amount of catch-up in the energy stocks, and I think there's a huge amount of catch-up in some of these miners. Now, have I been wrong before? Absolutely. I do think we're through this downtrend. I think we're going to hold it, and I think we're going to trade up to that $40 level in the GDX, which was the high at the end of 2020, Dan Nathan. All right, fair enough. I mean, listen, that would be the number to play off if you get above that downtrend. But it has been for a year and a half in a bit of a downtrend. You know, Guy, we talk about like names like this that are a flight to safety, if you will, in volatile markets. And one of the things that I think has been really interesting about yields is that we know that they've been going up, you know, over the last six to nine months as the Fed has kind of re-pivoted, or actually really the last six months or so, pivoted towards a more hawkish stance to kind of battle inflation or so. The 10-year U.S. Treasury yield last week got above, what, 2% for the first time since the start of the pandemic, the two-year, which you had been calling very correctly, you thought the 210 spread would get down to 30 basis points. It almost got there. I think it's about 41 now. And so you have the two-year at about one and a half or so, a little on either side of that here. What do you make of rates here? Because it's a really interesting situation. So if this geopolitical dust-up takes off the potential for a 50 basis point hike, which some people were calling for, the CME Fed tracker was pricing a likelihood of that of just a few weeks ago before this as maybe as high as 70% or so. That's come down a great deal. You've seen investors move towards treasuries here. And just real quickly, before you give me your take, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Raul Paul, who I think is a 
brilliant macro mind from the global macro investor. He tweeted out this morning, guy, bonds, the only trade no one has and everyone needs. Yes. I'm aware of inflation, but it's rate of change of inflation that matters and it is slowing and growth, which is also declining, also ending QE is good for bonds as are rate hikes. Thoughts, sir? So let's go back now and look at the chart again, just so we have that up. And I think he makes an excellent point. You know, his point is in terms of direction, it's sort of the same as mine, but the reasons we're going to get here are different. But what I've thought for a while, and as you pointed out, I thought we'd get to 2% in the 10-year here we are. I also thought the market sell-off we would see on the back half of it. And by the way, you know, war notwithstanding, I thought we'd see the sell-off anyway. I thought then would lead itself or lend itself to a flight in quality in the form of bonds, which makes yields go lower. That's what we're seeing now. I think you can continue to see that. And oh, by the way, if growth is slowing, which it is, and if people are fearful, which they are, they will continue to flow into bonds, a place that they fled from a couple weeks ago. So you're going to get people whipsawing themselves around. There's a potential here, Dan, I would submit, that you could see 10-year yields get back all the way down to that 200-day moving average, which will come in around 154 or so, with two-year going nowhere, if not going higher. So there's this potential for not only a 30 basis point twos 10, but a flat twos 10s at some point over the next couple months, which will not be particularly bullish for equities, in my opinion. So I think Raul makes a great point. I think we're on the same page, sort of. I understand what he's saying. I look at uh, yields going lower more as a flight to quality, though, than as a uh, flight to slowing growth. But we'll see. It doesn't really matter if they get there the same way. What, what's that saying, guy, that the, the inverted yield curve, the yield curve in general has predicted like a lot yeah, more? Yeah, reset- yeah, yeah. 15, yeah, yeah. Uh, last 10 recessions. You've never heard me. You know what's interesting, and I know you're not suggesting this, no. but people ask me, are we going into recession? I have no idea. I don't even know why it's all that interesting. I mean, I'm not an economist. I'm not nah. humorless enough or smart enough to be one. If you need an economist, watch some of the folks they parade out on television. So I don't know if we're on the verge of one, in one, out of one. doesn't really matter yeah. to me. We're trying to figure out where the markets are going. You know, it's funny. You're on television a lot, but you're rarely parading out there. You know what I mean? I just wanted to put that in there. All right, listen, we're halfway through Monday's market call. Let's spend some time on the stock market because that's what like, you know, that's the simplest thing going on is think of all risk markets. And we're like the simplest guys you could probably follow here. So let's fo- yeah. So let's focus on this. So last week we spent a little time on Apple. Why? Well, it's the two and a half trillion dollar market cap. It's the largest stock in the world. It's a huge component. What? It's about 12 and a half percent of the NASDAQ 100's weight. It's about 7% of the S&P 500. One stock guy is 7% of the S&P 500. There's 499 stocks that aren't worth 7% in that. But look at this, this chart, man. And, you know, you had the call. I, you know, I'm giving you lots of props here, my main man. You thought it would come back towards that breakout level, you know, from last year, which was kind of in the mid-150s. But, dude, when you look at this multi-year chart and you see where that thing stopped last Thursday at its lows, and let me tell you something, it gapped lower. And it wasn't one of those things where it opened and then was down like 3 or 4%. It gapped down there spent a very short period of time and to the penny as cbw likes to say it ricocheted here but man there's a series of lower highs and there's a series of lower lows here and this thing is down about 10 percent from its highs versus the nasdaq is down what 17 and a half 18 percent 
And something's got to give. If this market can't kind of find its footing, I think a stock like Apple could lead the way to the downside. Yeah, and that's what Carter's been saying for a while. And if you look at this chart, by the way, this is the 200-day moving average, or it could be me trying to draw a trend line on a rough Saturday night, as they say, having had a few Johnny Walker blacks. But my point is this. That 200-day moving average has been support a number of times. You go all the way back to 2019. And each time we've effectively tested it, and I get it a little bit differently a couple of years ago, but we've bounced off it. And we, to the penny, bounced off it last week. By the way, last week, the 200-day was 151.60. The low was 152. That 200-day moving average will go higher each day by definition. What do I think is going to happen? I agree. Because, again, if China-Taiwan rears its ugly head, if the market continues to sell off, the last thing that's going to move to the downside is in Apple. Right now, people are finding Apple the same way they're finding bonds as some sort of proxy flight to quality, I think that'll be short-lived. So 152 is going to be your line in the sand. But Dan, through 152, and you're staring at 140, and that could happen really quickly. Yeah, but dude, this is a flight to quality in equity land. When you look at how many tech stocks, this tech stocks that we know and use and like their products, same way with Apple, it's the same thing, man. And you know what? The thing about China is that obviously market share in China is really important. There's been some reports about nationalism with some of their own products there, and they've been losing smartphone market share, but it's also access to chips and supply chains. That could be a really bad situation for Apple. And the last thing I'll just say on Apple is that in Q1 of 2021, that stock sold off 22% from an all-time high. The fact, given what everything that we know and the outperformance since those lows, the the fact that the stock is only down 10% from the highs is crazy to me. And the other thing is, is that, you know, S&P EPS estimates are expected to rise about 8%. Obviously, Apple is a huge component of that EPS, right, at 7% of the weight of the index. Well, Apple's earnings are also supposed to rise about 8% this year. And you know what? It trades at 27 times earnings versus the S&P at about 18 and a half, nine. That makes that stock very vulnerable to me. But, guys, let's look at the aforementioned ND. The NASDAQ 100 here, and you see on a relative basis, we looked at the S&P before, this thing looks sloppy here, you know, and part of it is, is that a bunch of those big names, and we know about six or so, make up about 50% of the weight of that index of 100, but there's dozens of them that are down 50% or so, and to me, you know... through the 200-day moving average, if it gets rejected here at that downtrend, if you do have Microsoft, Apple, Google, a few of these names kind of get a little sloppy, this thing's on its way to 12,000. 200-day moving average. I've mentioned that. Why? Because it's starting to. I'm not suggesting it is, but it's starting to flatten out. And if that would start to slope lower, then this NDX, which has been above the 200-day in a meaningful way since March, April of 2020, until recently, recently being the last month or so, as long as we spend above it, that's how long we can stand below it, especially if it starts to turn lower. And I think your point is well taken. People seem to think that this is impervious tech and everything everything is exciting. And I get it. But if you start to lose the generals in the form of Apple and some of these other names, this thing will not be protected from a broader market sell-off, if that makes sense. And I think that's where we are here. Where does it come in? Well, the logical place is right around 12,000 or so. And that's pretty far away from where we're currently trading. But I think that could happen 
relatively quickly. So I'm with you on this one, Dan. I think it looks sloppy. Yeah. I think the price action will be sloppy over the next month or so. You know, one thing I'd say is that, you know, in January, the market felt really kind of crashy in a way, you know, because we didn't even have the geopolitical stuff. But since the geopolitical stuff has come into the, you know, the, the sell-off has been really orderly. You know, I would have expected at one point last week, guy, that you would have seen all those major big tech names down 4 or 5%. They weren't. They were down between like you know, three and four or something like that. And why is 5% important? Well, it's the midpoint of a 10% correction. And, you know, in periods past where we've been in crashy sort of markets, those are that's the sort of volatility that you'll see on an intraday basis or so. So, um, you know, I, I feel like it's been a bit orderly. All right, let's focus on some earnings here because earnings have been a huge part of the stock market story in a way because we've seen investors willing to pay lower multiples for or earnings that are decelerating over the last year or so. Tonight after the close, guy, Zoom. Okay, this is a stock that traded over $500. $569, I want to say, Whoa. but I'm probably off. But yeah, I mean, crazy levels. And, probably higher than that. And as we're talking, it literally is trading at $130. The report after the close tonight, it's really hard to kind of suggest that sentiment could be any worse. The 200-day moving average is just below $270. So it's 50% or more below that. The options market guy is implying a $25 move in either direction on a $130 stock. We can do the math on that. That is high teens percent in either direction. The last two quarters, the stock has sold off 15% or so. This one's kind of interesting here because, again, you said it to me earlier. I didn't know what a Zoom was before we had a global pandemic. You've probably been on a 1,000 or more or so, and it's an important product, but there's a lot of competition out there. All the major platform companies $40 billion market cap now. It trades well below 10 times sales. Uh, not well below, but it was trading well above that before. What's your take? How do you trade something like this where the options market is saying it's nearly impossible to trade on a directional basis if you want to define your risk? So that's the question, right? So you just mentioned it. We've effectively round-tripped the move pre-COVID to where we are now. It's pretty amazing if you think about it, the ride Zoom has had. If you made me bet on this one, I actually think there's a surprise to the upside coming the same way we saw that surprise in Square or Block or whatever they call that stock. Now, people will say, oh, my God, it's fixed. No, it's not fixed. I mean, you could see a move of that magnitude, and you're still in a significant downtrend in a stock that, again, was close to $600 and now is trading either side of $135. So you absolutely could see one of these bounces. The mitigating factor here, Dan, just to throw it out there, is the fact that I mentioned earlier, you know, for a lot of the country, I mean, people think COVID is over. And we're probably going to hear from politicians this week suggesting exactly that, which doesn't augur particularly well. But I think the setup for Zoom here is actually pretty good. And it reminds me of what we saw in Square last week. Now, if I'm wrong, as you know, I'll be the first person to come on Market yeah. Call tomorrow and say I was R-O-N-G wrong. But, you know, you have to try to do these things a priori not a posteriori. If you don't know what that means, go to your Google machine and check it out. Yeah, I guess the most important thing there is just like, listen, you know, there's people have been selling it for months and months and months or for over a year. And as sooner or later, you know, there's no one left to sell it. There's a lot of shorts who think it's going much lower here in the slightest bit of good news. And that's really what happened in Square. And you get a squeeze. And let's go look at Square for a second here because this one, you know, this stock traded nearly 280 just last summer. And into its report, guys, 
the other day was trading like 90 bucks or something like that, which is pretty astounding to see that sort of sell off, especially in market cap terms too. That stock, since it's reversed on Thursday, that was the day after they reported earnings, has rallied 55%. And to your point, look at where that stock is, still down 55% from its prior all-time highs. So 55% on a number, on a 93 number versus 55% on 280, that's pretty significant difference there. But again, this thing, could it move back towards 150 as a breakout level or breakdown level? No doubt about it. And I think it's interesting with Zoom though, if you wanted to pick a direction and buy the weekly at the money calls, it's going to cost you $12.50. So at 130, you need to move to 142 and a half to make money. You're going to need more than a 10 move or so. Let's look at another really important name reporting this week. It's Salesforce guy. One of the reasons why you and I are focused on this one, it was a massive market cap. It was one of the biggest software companies by market cap just three or four months ago here, man. I think it was above 260 or $70 billion in market cap. They report tomorrow after the close. The implied move in either direction there is about 7%. And what's interesting here is that they're still expected to report 20% sales growth this year, trading about five and a half times sales. So it's come in a lot from those highs. What's your take on a name like this? This is an important one to me, how investors react to the earnings and guidance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously a big part, we talked about that software ETF last week, and this is a big part of it. And I think it did trough. And what my reaction is, again, this is one of those names that, you know, valuation was a concern six months ago, not nearly as much now, although still expensive. And I still think you could see one of these bounces. Doesn't mean they've fixed themselves by any stretch, but you could easily see it north of $240 and still be a broken stock. I mean, some of the best long trades out there take place when things are in downtrends. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing in the last two names that we mentioned. Yeah, that's a really important point is that, you know, listen, you get these moves, you get these sharp kind of moves. And that's the one thing I would just say, Guy, about some of these ones, like for instance, Zoom is barely balanced here, but Salesforce has had a really big bounce here. So maybe some of that is kind of in the stock. If they were to guide down, I am hard pressed to think the stock goes up. And you and I had been talking for the last week or so about that NVIDIA report and the guidance after they gave about a week and a half ago. And it was a good report and it was good guidance and the stock still sold off. And we have that chart right there. That's still in a very well-defined downtrend. Look at that. I mean, it, it reversed Thursday from almost the exact bottom that it reversed in in January, which was also a big level going back to the fall here. You know, it's back above its 200-day. The valuation's more reasonable. We know they're well-positioned in a lot of different spots. What's your take on NVIDIA real, real quick? You have to wait for the breakout. You have to wait for the breakout through that downtrend line. Probably comes in the form of a close above 250. It actually did exactly what we thought. And we talked about that Wednesday when they reported how great we thought the quarter was and how great the guidance was. And the fact that the stock traded lower on the back of it, we thought was problematic. That came to fruition. Your lines are well-drawn here. There's your support. We traded down to it. I actually think there's a chance we close above 250 and this stock breaks, not breaks out, but it gets back to sort of that 275, 280 level. All right, real quickly, this is our last topic, guy. Target and a whole host of other retailers, Costco and Best Buy and Kohl's and Nordstrom's, and I think there's more. So a lot of retailers are reporting this week. I, I kind of highlighted Target here because I think you and I both think this is probably one of the more important ones. You know, Costco, there's a ton of groceries. These guys have a lot of groceries, but there's some other things going on there. 
What's your take on the U.S. consumer right now? We know that some of the confidence data has been weakening a little bit. We know the savings rates declining a little bit. We know that inflation has really been a problem here at the you know, price of gas at the pump. What do you expect to hear out of retailers if you're going to like look back on Friday and say, that's what I think you know, was the story of retail earnings? Best Buy, I mean, we're talking about Target, I know, but for Best Buy, for example, the real question is how much do people pull forward? In terms of yeah. Target, that really doesn't go on, right? I mean, it's a much different type of retailer. I think you can make a really compelling case for Target on valuation, and the environment that we find ourselves in should be perfect for the business or the, the services that Target provides. I'll tell you, the last couple of quarters, in a nutshell, have been lousy. They've really shot themselves in the foot, and technically, you have that huge double top there. But again, this recent bottom we made, it didn't get close to, well, it got close enough, I guess, to the levels we last saw. If you look way to the left of the chart, that's sort of 185-ish level. But I think we can bounce here, Dan, and I think we can get through that downtrend line and actually think we can get up to that 220 level, which is ish, the red line of support. And then yeah. subsequently resistance. Yeah, last thing I'll just say is that, you know, listen, I, I think I'm a little less optimistic on most of these names. I think it's going to be a one step forward, two steps back. I just don't think that we are in a bit of a buzzsaw as it relates to the economy, as it relates to the news flow, as it relates to investors willing to take risk here. I think the uncertainty is going to be around for a while. And, you know, that what's really different about the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2020, when the market V reversed after being off sharply, it had a lot to do with the Fed's pivot, and you and I are both in agreement that they are not going to be able to really pivot dovishly right here. Now, we should take a look. I mean, the sector we really want to look at, Dan, are some of these banks, right? I think that's correct, if I'm not mistaken. And if you take a look at this, this is everybody's all-American, as they say. It comes in the form of J.P. Morgan. I think the biggest problem with JPM, it's just too damn expensive, given where it is in terms of their yeah. P.E., their price to tangible book compared to their peers. Yeah, that one, we just threw that. That's the last chart we're going to look at right here. And the reason why we threw this one up is that they did not have a great quarter. We know that there's you know all these economic sanctions. There's a lot of people trying to figure out what that means for the global financial system. I think you and I would agree that we don't think there's a ton of systemic risk as it relates to sanctions on Russia. That being said, this was a stock in a sector that was already acting kind of weak over the last few weeks or so. There's a huge air pocket between 140 and 120 in JP Morgan. And if you have the stock going below that you're going to have an s&p 500 in my opinion testing that 4200 all right guy take us out of here man that was a fun chit chat on the no, market we could here. probably do another half hour given everything yeah. that's going on but we want to be respectful of folks time so i want to thank everybody for joining us on today's market call the last one in february dan tomorrow believe it or not it's march we should be talking about spring training we're not that's for another show today's market call brought to you by our sponsors fact set and open exchange. Tune in tomorrow, as I mentioned, March 1st, 1 p.m. And check out our podcast, Dan, on the tape. It drops every Friday. You know what else drops on Fridays? Good moods. I hope you're in one. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> see you tomorrow. Thanks, man.